the business on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. You see it, we help you do it. AIB, for the life you're after. And now to a homegrown story of determination. It's not every day that someone with a complex relationship with food opens a business specialising in calorie-laden cakes. But when Una Leonard was recovering from a serious eating disorder and her own mental health crisis, she discovered the healing power of baking and decided to make a career out of it. Una now owns two patisseries and she joins me to share her story. Una, you're very welcome. You grew up in Clonmelon outside Mullingar. It was a happy childhood? Yeah, we did. We actually, I have such fond memories of my childhood. So we, we were in, it's a small little village and we had a small primary school. Um, and my childhood was probably very GA based. So all of our evenings were spent uh, down in Brownstown. Yeah, it was, it was a good childhood. It was out in the sticks and down the fields and you only come home when you were hungry, kind of. <laughs> so you were very active and out and about. But at some point, food started to become an issue for you. When yeah. was that? I would say it went back as far as school I'd say school uh, maybe I'm going to say about 12 13 14 years of age I started getting really anxious with eating in front of people um and I was really picky on what I could eat so I would allow I would I didn't mind eating like an apple or something um healthy on front of people but if I was to dig into a dinner or eat a chipper or something like that I would I'd struggle with eating in front of people and after school, you went on, you got a place in culinary arts in the Galway Mayo Institute of Technology. Yeah. And it can be difficult leaving home, going, you know, from secondary school to college. What, what was that transition like for you? I think that was the hardest time I've ever had in my life, even looking back on it now. It was so scary. You were taken away from your security. And I suppose... I always say mum really made us feel at home. Like everything was kind of a routine for us at home. There was always food on the table. There was always a a structure to what we were doing, uh, whether it was going to games or whatever she had planned for us. Um, And then up and leaving that, I wasn't prepared for it. 100% wasn't prepared for it. I know some people love that uh, flea in the nest kind of feeling and getting to do their own thing and be themselves. But for me, it was just a really scary place. Um, And I suppose I didn't really fit in too well. Like I didn't make too many friends because I was in such a rush home every weekend. Um, I was really insecure. And I suppose my eating disorder was, it was quite bad at that time because I was put into a situation where it was canteens and you had to go into a big, massive canteen to get food or the house you were living in, you were living in it with strangers. Um, So for me... I struggled. I struggled really bad when my routine was taken away from me. So the odd meal that I was missing turned into a lot more than that. So something that was a bit of a thing that had been there, a bit of an anxiety or whatever when you were younger, Mm -hmm. that really began to get bigger and have more of an impact on you during this more stressful time. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it was... I, I didn't recognise it in me. I didn't realise it was something that was uh, different from anybody else. I, I suppose maybe in sixth year in school, one of my teachers noticed I wasn't eating in front of people and she was a really, really kind soul and she held me back um, for 10 minutes at a big, bro- big lunch and allowed me eat my lunch with her in her classroom before I went out to all of my friends. She was uh, the loveliest person ever. And then 
that was when I actually realised that that wasn't normal for me not to be able to eat in front of people. But I never done anything about it and never said anything to anybody about it. Um, so when I went into secondary school, I didn't have that little security of when I went into school, Miss Meaton was there or when I went home, Mam was there. So when you were in college then and it was getting a, a bigger issue, did you feel that it that, that it's quite serious or did you recognise that it was an eating disorder? Um, I was in a really bad place in my first couple of years in college. So my first two or three years, um, it wasn't just, I suppose it wasn't just an eating disorder I had. I was very depressed and I had really bad anxiety. And I suppose um, maybe being thrown into the real life, my my life at that time kind of brought that on as well. Um, I would have suffered a lot with panic attacks and anxiety attacks and Especially when we were in the kitchen, so we were, I was studying to be a chef, I was in the kitchen cooking all day and doing that one thing I absolutely love to do and I still do, like, it was when I got into the kitchen I felt free, I felt like I was in my safe space, I felt I was comfortable, I felt like I knew what I was doing. Um, well, of what course, was it like being surrounded by, by food and working with food all see, the time? See, food wasn't the problem, it was eating that was the problem. So. I loved the food. I loved creating. I loved being creative with food. Um, it was at the end of the class when you had to taste everything. That's when it used to. I used to really, really struggle. And and I remember one particular day being in the class and we were all shuffling to get our knives and forks and our few bits. And this panic attack came on me, and it was one of one of the most severe ones I had. I just knew I wasn't going to be able to breathe. Um, I can feel it even when I think about it. I can feel it now when I'm talking about it. And I just knew that things were not good. I, I, I just, I said to myself, I just wanted to run away. And at that stage I did. I walked out of the classroom as quick as I could. Um, but I knew that I wasn't going to be able to continue doing what I was doing because I couldn't, I couldn't eat the food in front of people. I couldn't be around people. I was, once that class was over and the three and a half hours of cooking was done, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to, I wanted to run then. And with all of these things going on, you you got to a, a very low point. Uh, you you, mm-hmm. you tried to take your own life on yeah. a couple of occasions. What yeah. happened? So actually, my lovely granny um, passed away uh, while I was in college. Uh, granny was a massive part of our lives. Her name is Doshi. I actually created a Doty or a product in my shop now called Doty Bars after her. Um, she had a sweet tooth, but she passed away. Uh, I think it was it was the 4th of October and I suppose it was a trigger it was another thing of life that I just wasn't able to cope with I suppose there's no particular way you can cope with grief and especially someone that was so special and Granny lived with us so her she had a little Granny fat at the end of our home place so she was a big big part of our life um, and I just the, the day I got that call I was always I was already very fragile and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how to think. I didn't know what was going on. Um, it's just what grief, what, what happens with grief. And none of us are taught, none of us are shown how to deal with it. Um, and my way of dealing with it was uh, a very, the only thing I could control at that time was my eating. I, I became very anorexic. I became bulimic. I was extremely depressed. Um, I wanted to be with granny. I wanted to, I wanted to be with her. I just wanted to, and I felt happy in that decision. The day I made that call, that I was sick of being in this hole and sick of being so sad, and everything around me. And I loved my family. I loved everything, but I just wanted to be with her. I just felt like it was a really safe 
place I wanted to go to. And I remember the moment that I decided that that was it. I remember the day so well. I remember sitting outside my front door. I remember the weather. I remember having my knees curled up into my chest and I put my arms around them and I hugged myself and I said, this is it. And I had such a sense of relief and happiness in that moment that I thought that I was making the right decision. But I think, obviously, looking back, well, I I not think I know looking back that it wasn't the right decision. But I thought and I really did feel like I was making the right decision in that moment. And I spent the rest of the day and I had a lovely day. I spent the rest of the day with my sisters, my little nephew and with my mum. And I internally had said goodbye to them all without actually saying it. And I knew that evening that I was going to, going to go and I was going to be with Granny. Are you OK? Take your time and I know it's, it's, it, it's still very distressing for you, I know, to think about it. Take your time. Yeah. I am OK. So... What an incredibly lonely day for you to carry all of that around inside your head uh, and not say or not give anything away, you know, about what you were planning to do. Uh, What happened? What did you do? I know you said it was a lonely day, but in the two years I had or the year and a half I had built up to that day, I remember that day being, I remember that day so well because it was the only day that I felt happy and I felt at peace um, so that evening, my mom took me into my bed every night to make sure that I was okay. And I used to have really bad night terrors. Um, and once she had tucked me in, I took an overdose. I don't really remember anything after that. And you just you just blanked out. And and did your mother find you, or what happened? Yeah. So they they found me and. Um, I was completely out of it. I was after um, t- obviously taking too much, so I was brought to the hospital, uh, and they got me on time. And my sister stayed with me, and she promised me, and she held my hand, and she told me we're going to get help. And you'd even, Una, you'd even written letters to your family. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Just little notes to my little nephew. Oh, you should have seen him. He had like the curliest brown hair and the biggest brown eyes. And oh, he was just, oh, I still remember him sitting up in the bed with me. And yeah, I just, I didn't want them to think that I wanted to leave them because I didn't want to leave them. I didn't, but I didn't think I was going to be, not that I didn't think I was going to be hurting them. I just, I just really felt like it was the right, it's really hard to explain. Really, really hard to explain because in that moment, it really does feel like you're doing the right thing. And I'm so glad that I didn't because I absolutely love my life and everything that was coming of it. And honestly, I don't feel like if I didn't go through that period in life that I wouldn't be who I am today. So there is a blessing in disguise, but I'm just so glad for that I didn't. What did you do with the letters? Had you planned to to leave them somewhere for that the yeah, others would find them? Yeah, so I left them in my room. Them? Yeah, I left them in a room up on my shelf and I remember... When I came back in, um, so after after that attempt, I was put on a watch kind of programme. So the nurses used to come to my house 
every day and um, give me my medication. And I wasn't allowed any medication or allowed in the house. And it was a rehab programme. Um, and I remember going to get them and getting rid of them as quick as I could. Um, so my granny had a range with a fire and I put them into that because I didn't want anyone to see them. Or I was really, really paranoid at the time. Um, really paranoid. Uh, I used to hate when people spoke to me, spoke about me, even came looking for me, seeing me. Uh, I just really didn't want to be to exist, really. Um, the only person I kind of allowed around was Mam, and I, I to to a stage of like the mirrors in my room and everything were all blanked out. So if I seen myself, I could I could scrape myself um, until I bled. Like I just really didn't like I didn't like myself at the time. And at some point, through all of this and after this, being in the kitchen, I mean, you obviously, you enjoyed being in the kitchen and you were saying on the course that you, you loved all of that. But baking in particular yeah. came along as something that kind of represented a very happy place for you. How, how did that happen? And do you remember when it happened? Yeah, I do. I do. I, um, I remember it now. Mam's kitchen, you you wouldn't swing a cat in it like it's tiny. So I don't know how I loved the kitchen so much because you'd think if you had a really nice kitchen, you'd love being in it the whole time. But I think it's that Irish thing of like when someone comes to your house, you want to give them something. And I felt so sorry for my nurses coming to the house to look after me. So I always wanted to have something for them. Now, they could have got a few burnt scones. I don't know what the, what the baked goods were like, but <laughs> I used to get into the kitchen knowing they were coming and have something for them to bring with them or have and bring home. Um, and I got a real sense of peace in it. And it's hard to describe because it was like you're in a hole, like you're you're... Your mind goes to mad places when you're in a position like that. Like you, you think the worst. You think you have scary thoughts. Um, you think how you're going to run away. You think how are you going to get out of this? You're you're not a very positive person when you're in those thoughts, and it's very lonely. Um, but when I set foot into the kitchen, even if it was only for an hour to bake a few scones or a few cookies or something for the girls, it was a tiny moment of a day that I didn't, I wasn't in that horrible place. I was in my place, which felt safe and felt secure. And I suppose I was always um, craving that feeling of normality. So that grew to me being in the kitchen a lot more, whether it was um, reading recipes or getting magazines or researching um, recipes that I could bake. And I'm telling you now, 80% of them were not edible. They were absolutely horrendous. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm everybody... Sure, I'm sure they were a lot better. No, I, I have pictures to prove it, but I remember giving them to my mum and my dad and my sisters and everyone just looking at me with nodding their head being, yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> everyone was afraid to say it was terrible. <laughs> and, but... You know, what started as baking something for the nurses coming, I mean, little by little, that, that began to increase. And, and mm -hmm. because it was a very kind of happy place for you doing that, you you, you were ready for any opportunity to, to bake something else. Yeah, and I suppose it wasn't even um, just the bake. And I think when you hit rock bottom and there's nowhere else you go, I had this, um, I had this feeling of, what is the worst that can happen? I've already been there. So just do whatever you want. And it wasn't that I wanted a bakery and it's not that I wanted a successful business. It's not that I I wanted... I didn't dream about any of that. I just wanted to be in a kitchen. So how then did the business come about and stepping up from what you were doing to a whole new level? Yeah. Oh, 
Right, yeah, it was. Um, wasn't it? Wasn't wasn't planned. I was uh, I was in Mullingar one day. Well, I was making cakes from home, so I made, I made a first off. I made a cake for my little nephew. I was telling you about earlier, and he wanted he mad about John Deere tractors, absolutely mad about John Deere's. And he brought down his little John Deere, and he said, asked me, could I make one of them into a cake? Now I've never made a cake before at this stage, but of course I said yes. So I figured it out. I tried to put a plan in place and I sketched out a little cake and how I was going to do it. And I'd make the chocolate biscuit base and I would do Rice Krispie wheels and I'd put it all together. So got all the bits and bobs. It cost me a fortune to get all the bits and bobs at the start when you don't have anything. And I made a little John Deere tractor firm. It took me five days, but we got there in the end. And I put the picture up on my Facebook, my personal Facebook. And I suppose a few neighbours asked me for cakes and then somebody else would ask me for a cake. And I was like, oh, this is good. So I completely took over Mam's kitchen and started making cakes during the night while she was able to feed everyone during the day. And we didn't argue at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can imagine. No, not at all. But um, yeah, it just, it, it was a creative sense to it. It was, uh, it was my space where I was able to, and it didn't matter if I was up all night, it didn't matter if I was doing 14 hour shifts just making cakes. I was happy out doing them until it got too much in mum's kitchen. And I knew I needed to, I needed to figure out what I was going to do next. I had no plans at all, but I was in Mullingar one day and there was this sign on the window going into this little bake or this little coffee shop actually and it had 750 euro turnkey cafe ready to go um, I was like Jesus I think I can afford that um, with my minus 800 euro overdraft in my bank of course <laughs> <laughs> so I went into I went into the the guy in there and he gave me the landlady's number and I gave her a call and I told her I'd take it and she was like okay and I rang my mum and dad and I told them I was opening a bakery and they were like what you do what 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 do you mean you're you're opening a bakery I was like well I'm after getting a place in Mullingar and they're like what are you doing in Mullingar <laughs> <laughs> it felt right I it felt so right I walked into that building and I. Loved it, and I just knew it was going to be the space. Um, so, and what what about op- like opening the bakery, opening the shop? Was that a big sort of all? Well, all it was trying to, to get money job. together to try and put it together. And what do you need? I've never worked in a bakery before. So it, back in the day, you could go into your credit union and your two neighbours in front of you, and you tell them that you you need a loan for a car, even though you're after driving into them. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a small loan out. <laughs> And we started putting it together bit by bit, piece by piece. Myself and mum Googled how to lay a floor and we started laying the floor and then we rang someone in to do it for us. <laughs> and we scraped the grease off the walls and we painted it up and my dad put legs on, we bought uh, countertops off Dundee and my dad put legs on them. I had a little mixer that was on its edge and an old fridge and yeah, we, we went so for it. So you really patched it all together oh, and did so much together. of it yourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what about actually running a business? Did, did you, had you given that much thought? Did you know much about it? No, no, I didn't think about that. I only started thinking about that recently. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, got, you've got 20 staff now, Luna, so it was well yeah, overdue. <laughs> um, but no, I didn't. I actually, there was, it was so simple. I'm t- it was the simplest thing ever. It was get up at three o'clock in the morning, go into work do that thing you love to do, bake, and hope someone would walk in the door. I remember the early days of it. And if we could get two people through the door, we being me, I was chuffed. Like, abs- and I'd nearly be giving them half the stuff on the counter just to be delighted that they came in. I started giving away stuff to everybody just to see if they'd come back for more. 
um, I would bake all morning from 3am. I'd open the shop around 9 and close it at around 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I'd clean down, wash down and get into the cake or the cake decorating for any orders that had to go out. Now, I didn't have the shop open Sunday, Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday because I had to work a part time job to be able to pay the rent for the shop to stay open. So I was working those days in a different um, either restaurant. I think I was working out in a recording studio, wherever, whoever would take me, I was working. But that was a hard slog. That was That tough. was a hard slog, yeah. And the business has grown and you've saying you've got 20 staff what do you want to do next where where would you like to take it um so we have our Mullingar store we have our Dublin store um we have our online our online offer like is the busiest out of everything so we send cake nationwide every every week um and so the Dublin store is in Paris Paris Court shopping center yeah uh, so i think well we're we're working on a few things but definitely um maybe uh, international shipping, uh, try and get our cakes around the world. We're working on that at the moment. Um, but we've loads of different plans. We're always working on something. And the name 2210 Patisserie, wh- wh- where did you get the name from? Why that? So that little boy that I made, my nephew, the boy that I made my um, my first ever cake for, the little John Deere tractor, his date of birth is the 2nd of the 2nd, 2010. So that's so it's, 2210. It's, it's a nod to him. Yeah, yeah. He's raging now because he's 14 and I keep telling him, I was like, you'll never get into a nightclub until you're 18 in Mullingar. <laughs> <laughs> Probably right too. Well, Una Leonard, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the programme today and for, for telling us about your story and, and it's incredible what, what you've done and what you've achieved. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, if you have been impacted by any of the issues raised in Una's story, you can go to rte.ie forward slash helplines for more information.